And so if you haven't, if you haven't been with us and you don't have one of the books, once again, follow along in the readings in your Bible. And if you can get to one of the community groups or small groups that we meet in, to just sit and talk about what God's Word is saying to you. And it's so important to do that. We have had some really encouraging conversations already and just hear the stories of other people. Listen, if you want to grow more intimately with God and with one another, you have to invest some time. You have to invest some time. There's, there's no way around it. You have to figure out a way to make it work with your schedule. And I encourage you to do that. If you say, well, I don't know what groups are available or whatever, talk to myself, talk to my wife, um, and we will, we will encourage you and let you know. <clears throat> so let's get in your Bibles. First of all, turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to do a quick review, and then we're going to move forward. We have a lot of room to cover. Are you ready to receive God's Word today? All right, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant. Are you ready for that? Are you that thirsty? I hope so. I hope so. So let's take a few minutes to review where we have been so far. And then we'll get to Acts chapter 9. Page 69, if you have one of the, one of the Bibles that we provided. So the church has been born. It has been born. It is starting to grow. It's starting to thrive. Many people are coming and believing in Jesus. The church is growing uh, the first martyr happens, Stephen is killed for his, for his faith, and then persecution breaks out, which then causes the church to spread. What seemed like a terrible thing actually played right into God's plan to make the gospel move out from where it was at. So the believers spread out, they took this good news with them of this man named Jesus who died for their sins, he died for all mankind, he rose again to conquer death, and our faith is centered around the truth of the resurrection. Listen, if it wasn't for Jesus being raised, there is no hope for us, and there's no reason to be here today. None. Your faith is worthless if it's not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you do not fear death, you know, that's because of the resurrection. Because we know that we have hope and we have eternal life that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. Your faith is worthless if there is no resurrection. And we hinge everything upon it. I live my life based upon that truth of the resurrection of Jesus. But here's how the church really got a kickstart. And it happened with a guy named Saul, who then eventually becomes Paul. And here's the story in Acts chapter 9, page 69, where it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. It says he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that's what they called the movement of early Christians, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Can you imagine someone walking in the door this morning and they came in, they stood up here in front. All right, I need to know who of you are followers of this way, of this guy named Jesus. If you're a follower, raise your hand because I'm, I'm here for you. And then they'd be taken out. They'd be arrested. Some might even be uh, persecuted for their faith or killed for their faith. And it says that uh, as Paul or Saul at the time neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by his hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. There's that number three again, and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Has God ever asked you to do something that you didn't want to do? Ananias is in this place right now. He's like, wait a minute, Lord, I've heard about this guy named Saul. He's not a good character. He is actually kind of anti, he's kind of against what it is that we stand for. And I heard that he will, he could harm you because this is what he said. Ananias said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and, the, and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to pro proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. That's good news for you and me because we are Gentiles, and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. And then get ready, because we're on, a, we're on a fast track now, all the way through the rest of the New Testament. Paul was the man who wrote most of the New Testament out of his experiences on these journeys that he goes on, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, wherever it is that he went. After pinning the letter to the church in Thessalonica, which we kind of just briefly looked at last week, Paul travels to this cosmopolitan city of Corinth, where the followers of the way have gathered and a church was born. So Paul goes to this city, a city that is full of sin and degradation. I mean, it's like this place is like the, the current day at that time, it was Vegas. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, all right? If you were called a Corinthian woman, that was not a good thing. You never wanted to be called that if you're a woman because it meant that you were a woman of the night, maybe of loose morals and character or whatever. But Corinth was not a, uh, it was a dark place, a dark place. It was a place that needed the light of Jesus. It needed the gospel. And so Paul goes there and he begins to, he begins to interact with the people and, and then, he, then he writes this letter to them to address some of the issues that he discovers while he's there. And much like the church today, there is a struggle to be salt and light in a tasteless dark world. That's, that's our struggle as a church, as the church. The battle was to be culturally relevant without being swallowed up by the culture in which they lived in. It's to be in the world, but not of the world. This church... The Greek word is ekklesia. Ekklesia is the Greek word for church, which means that they are called out, called out, set apart to be holy and other than the culture that they lived in. See, here's the truth, church. We're not called to be like everyone else around us. Did you know that? That's not our calling. It's our calling is not to blend in so well with the culture around us that nobody can tell the difference. 
We are called upward. Upward to love God with everything that we have. Our time, our money, our talents, and our skills. But here's the deal, and it was true then, and it's true now. Some people just call that weird. You're just weird. You're weird if you're here this morning. Why would you get up early on a Sunday morning when you could just sleep in? Why would you come sit here for an hour plus, listen to some guy from Pakistan you don't even know pray in a language you've never heard before? That's just weird. Why would you do that? There's so, much, there's so many other things you could be accomplishing right now. And some of you are thinking, yeah, bro, get on with this so I can get to it. You know? But it's just weird to the rest of the culture. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever had someone looking and say, dude, why are you the way that you are? Do you, do you really believe what you're reading? Do you really believe what they're saying? Do you believe that this, you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus? There's hope after this life? Well, if there isn't more to this life than just this life, and like I said, the Bible says we're all the most miserable people on earth. But it's just, it's weird. And in that culture, in the culture we live in today, we're faced with that. Paul even said in Corinthians, he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It just doesn't make sense. But to those who are being saved, man, it is the power of God. It is the thing that we cling to. The Bible talks about a path that's being broad that leads to destruction, and many will find that path. That's the path I was on for a while in my life, and you know what? At first, man, it was a party. All my friends were there. It was awesome. We were all having a good time. We thought going to church was weird. This is, this is life right here. We're experiencing it together. And the longer I stayed on that road, the lonelier it became. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And once I got on that road, it seemed a little lonely at first. Did anybody really understand what's going on in my life, this transformation? But the longer I've stayed on it, the bigger my family has become. And I have a brother in Pakistan. Isn't that crazy? That's the truth about the gospel. The longer you stay on this journey, the more, for, actually, the, the, you'll find friends that are closer than brothers. You'll find people who will walk with you through the most difficult times in your life. I see two brothers back there that walked with each other through the most difficult thing any family could ever go through. That's the church. That's the benefit of being a part of the church. And so I found, this, I found this quote. I want to share this with you from a guy. His name is Craig Rochelle, and I shared a quote from him last week. He's a pastor. He's powerful, just a great teacher. And listen to what it says. He wrote a book actually called Weird. <laughs> and this is where I got this quote from. It says, you've personally chosen to leave the broad path. You've, you're gladly traveling the narrow road now. Your journey may seem weird to others, but your destination will be infinitely better than anything a settle for normal world can offer. Because you can't settle for anything normal any longer. You can't be normal because you're getting to know the loving, grace-filled, all-powerful God of the universe. And as you come to know him, you're becoming like him. The more you are like him, the more different you will be. Weird. So we're, all, we're called upward, but we're also called outward. All right, so while I'm, while I'm going here, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians now. Go to 1 Corinthians, page 132 in your books of the Bible book. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many of you are already familiar with what this passage is all about? Raise your hand. 
you are, you've heard this pastor, 1 Corinthians 13, you, if you've been to a wedding in the last 10 years, you've heard this passage of Scripture probably read. So we're called upward, then we are called outward to love others with everything that we have. As you journey through 1 Corinthians, you're going to find out that, you'll, that, that this body that you've been given is not your own. Your body is not your own. You're bought with a price. And we're to honor God with this body. And speaking of body, he talks about the church as a body, a body made up of many parts, but one body. Doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, black, white, whether we came from one side of the tracks or the other, all those things doesn't matter because we are all baptized by one spirit and we all have one spirit to receive from. So it doesn't matter. So this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, he's actually talking to the church. He's not talking to husbands and wives. Now we can interpret it and we can use it. I mean, obviously it's good truth for relationships between husband and wife, but he's talking about the church. He's talking about us, y'all. He's talking about each other and how we love one another because ultimately everything the gospel teaches is centered around this love that we're to have for him and each other. So listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about the body and says, yeah, I will show you the most excellent way, the most excellent way to live among one another. Because he's writing to a church. He's writing to a, a dysfunctional church that needs some truth and they need to be encouraged on how to live out this way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men of a- or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I can give you the best sermon you've ever heard before, but if I don't love you tomorrow or just right after this, this is over, then I'm just noise. This is all noise. This is stuff that you're just going to hear. It's going to pass right through your ears. He says that I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship and, and so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then here's this famous passage. Love is patient. Okay, now... Wrap your mind around this, ladies and gentlemen. This is for you and I. It's for each other. Look around you. Just look around. Look at the people next to you. And tell the person next to you, hey, this is for you. All right? All right? This is for you. This is for you. All right? Some of you, your elbow and your spouse, and you need to listen to this. All right? Receive this right here. It's going to be awesome. This is cool. I had my little heart marker in my Bible, you know, for love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hope always perseveres love never fails but where there are prophecies they will cease where there are tongues they'll all be stilled where there is knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when completeness comes what is in part disappears the sense of we only have 
we only have one perspective of life right now from where we're sitting. We only have one perspective. God sees the whole picture. We only get this limited perspective. It's like in a glass half, it's just dim or it's, uh, it's blurry. We can't quite make out, right? But someday we're going to see clearly. Someday we're going to see Jesus face to face. And we're going to be known intimately, more intimately than we've ever, we're going to know him more intimately than we've ever known before. He goes on to say, when I was a child, I, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like one. But then when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see only a reflection, as it says in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. For I know in part, and then shall I know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now it says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? It's love. The greatest of these is love. Paul unpacks so much stuff in that, that first book. And then he goes on to the second book um, to the Corinthians. And he's dealing with some dissension within the church. There were some forces outside of the walls that were trying to kind of tear the church apart. But you know what? There were some forces within the church trying to tear the church apart. And you know what? The truth is, is um, it just happens because we're all human. <laughs> And we're all people. And people are messy. Can I get an amen? amen? People are messy. Don't look at the person next to you and say, hey, he said you're messy. All right? So here's the, the primary theme. And as we're, we're working through this quickly here. Here's the primary theme of this book. It's, it is the reconciliation of the body of Christ. It's people coming back together, reconciling their relationships with one another. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Then it goes on to talk about how we are reconciled to God through Christ. That's that, that, that vertical connection, us and God, through Christ. Now, that is a passage that we hear a lot of times when it comes to sharing the gospel and showing people who don't have faith in Christ how to become new in Christ. However, don't forget that Paul wrote to the church saying, don't you realize, and this is kind of like the writer of this text, this is his words, listen to what he says, he says, don't you realize the church that is divided, or the church could be divided, don't you realize that church died to reconcile you not only to God, but to each other? This is why we need to be re reconciled to each other in the church. This is part of why Christ died, so that we would be connected to one another, new creations connected to one another. The old being gone. Listen to what he says. He says, stop acting like the world. You are the church. Reconcile to one another. He says, this is ridiculous, he is saying. Be done with this dissension. Listen, we're humans and we will wrestle with this until Jesus comes back. That is this sense of, of being offended with each other, hurting each other's feelings, thinking the worst of each other. And, and I'm just going to encourage you, we got to get over that. We have got to learn to get over that. And the only way we can do that is by love. The love we just spoke of. That's the only way we can accomplish that. So I want to encourage you if, you. if you have something that happens within the church, somebody offends you, hurts your feelings, do me a favor. In love, go directly to that person. Pull them aside, go directly to that person. 
Because if you go to somebody else and talk about it, you've just created a deadly triangle. And that is not biblical, and that's not healthy. Take that other person out, go directly to the other person. Now, if that person doesn't want to reconcile with you, then maybe you bring a witness in that sees the same thing, and then you guys work through it together. It's Matthew 18. It's the principle the Bible gives us for working through these issues. But it's all done in love. All done in love. If we don't do that, the church won't last. It'll become divided, and nothing that's divided can stand. And so we gotta, we gotta make sure that is that we've gotta love each other because we've got this rest of this world watching. We've gotta love one another. Do you know what the number one reason is a church might split and discontinue meeting together? You know what the number one reason is? Tony will, will appreciate this. It's the choice of music. Well, we don't sing enough hymns, Tony. More hymns. If you don't sing more hymns, I'm not coming back. That won't work with him. He'll be like, well, see ya. <laughs> we got to sing more of those, those Christ, you know, we, we need to sing um, Awesome God more. That's a great song. Awesome God. It, it happens because of things like that. Or if we are building a church, the color of the carpet. I don't like blue. I'd rather have red. And people split over those kind of issues. And here's the number one reason why. And a lot of times it's because, um, not only with those kind of things, it's about how money is being spent in the church and those kind of things. The causes of division in the church are many, but ultimately the main reason for a church split is that someone has taken their focus off of Jesus and begun to use the church organization for their own benefit. I'll just be honest with you, the church doesn't exist for you. The church exists for him. And we are a part of it to serve him, to reach upward, then to be able to take that same kind of love and reach outward. That's why we exist. That's the whole reason we're in business. So we're going to finish with this. I told you we're going we're to get a lot in a little time. Turn on over now then to the book of Galatians. We don't even have time to get close to Romans. Romans, Romans is way too deep. You could take months to get through that whole book. We'll, we'll address some of that next week. So look in, look in uh, the book of Galatians. And I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, page 161. Okay, so we're going to get there, and here's how we're getting there. We've already dealt with um, this, the church is growing, it's, there's some dissension, there's some stuff going on, Paul addresses it, we're to love one another. He, um, he then, he's then writing this church in Galatia, he had spent some time with these, these people when he was sick, and while he was sick, they took care of him, they loved him, and he shared the good news of Jesus with them, and many people believed in the name of Jesus. And they began to living, begin living this life, running this race in, with their faith in Jesus because they were, they, were, they were new Christians. They found this new freedom. It was life apart from the law. They, they, we don't have to follow all these guidelines to be a follower of Jesus. And it was awesome. But then, but then here's the deal. There were some people within the church that started uh, coming in, started sowing some, some things that weren't true in the church and they were, they were telling the people oh yeah 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 you have to have your faith in Jesus but you also have to do these other things to really be saved 
It was a Jesus plus blank salvation. And then you can just fill in the blank with whatever you want. And every church that exists could fill in the blank to manipulate their people to do whatever it is that the pastor wanted them to do. It's Jesus, back then it was Jesus plus circumcision. These were Gentiles. They didn't grow up underneath that. And then they're telling him, oh yeah, well if you really want to be like us, then you're going to have to go under the knife. Now all the men are squirming in the room for good reason. That was a pretty serious commitment. But it was just deeper than that. It was more like, well, Jesus is not enough because you have to follow the law too. You have to have both. And Paul was like, well, wait a minute. If Jesus isn't enough, then I'm preaching the wrong gospel. He's saying Jesus is enough. Jesus has taken care of all of those things. He has fulfilled the law. In Christ, we have found this new freedom. If you're in a church, any church, and they're telling you that there's something more to salvation than just your faith in Jesus, big red flag. Big red flag. And you better question it. You better look at what Scripture says, and you better really pray and say, is that what I'm really called to do? Am I really called to follow? If you ever hear me say it's Jesus plus something else, you know, Jesus plus uh, three Sundays out of four, you got to be here. Otherwise, you're really not like us. It's Jesus plus you got to give a little bit more in the offering plate. You're really not like us. I mean, I could go down the list. I could make up all kinds of things to get you to do what I want you to do. But that's not the freedom that Jesus provides for us in the gospel. You ever heard that song, we're free to do what I want any old time? <laughs> that's really not true. <laughs> We're really not free to do whatever we want any old time. You know what we're free to do, though? We're free to walk in obedience with Jesus. And when we walk in obedience with him, we start to experience life in a different level, life on a different plane. We we experience blessings that come to us as a result of that obedience that we've never experienced before. So let's let Scripture round out our time together. So it's Galatians chapter 5. It is um, all the way down on the, the bottom of page 161 where it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the, sl- the yoke of slavery. Paul's telling him, mark my words, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I says, I will declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated then to obey the whole law. You're trying to be justified by the law and have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For though the spirit we eagerly await by faith, the righteousness for which we hope, For in Christ Jesus, neither the circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. I love this. The only thing that counts its faith, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And he tells him, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. Like he's encouraging them, don't buy it. He says, don't go down that road. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm speaking or if I'm preaching 
If I'm still uh, preaching circumcision, then why am I still being persecuted? I mean, Paul got, Paul got mistreated because of the gospel, but he did it because of his love for Jesus. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, now, I don't know. I find sometimes scripture is pretty fascinating. Listen to what Paul says. Paul, Paul shows a little bit of his flesh here. Listen to what he says. He says, he says, if these people keep doing this, these agitators keep doing this, I wish they would go ahead the whole way and emasculate themselves. Man, you want to be serious? That's what you want to do? Then go and show me how serious you are. You know, go ahead and just take care of it all. And then he says, listen to this. He says, brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Okay, listen, this is the practical application of what we're learning today, and we're going to take this with us as we leave. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You aren't free to do whatever you want. What, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. No, we're not free to do that, but we're free to walk in obedience to the Lord because there's consequences when we do whatever we want. But he says, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you too will be destroyed by one another. So I say, this is good, it's good stuff. Are you ready? Still there, you still with me? Ready to receive the last piece of this? Listen to what it says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. I mean, there's a battle. There's, there's a Spirit, and then there's flesh, and they're battling against one another. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he gives, this, gives a list. He gives some Here's the acts of the flesh. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, this is a great, because if we just stayed there, you're like, Oh, man, that's some tough words, Brady. It's like, man, is there any hope? But the spirit that's living inside you, here's what it's wanting to produce in you, and it takes some time. It's a process. It's sanctification. It happens over time. Listen to what it says. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that God's wanting to produce in you. If you have the Spirit, you already have those there. He's wanting them to grow and to become fruitful. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And then we're on the tail end. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, as you may also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in this way, and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something, when they are not, they will deceive themselves. 
Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Amen. Don't you like that? Don't you wish our teenagers would figure that out? Each one of you are to carry your own load of laundry. All right. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction, this is my favorite part, listen to this, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Amen. One amen out of that. Did you get that? All right, I'm running low on gift cards to Starbucks. Just want you to know, just throwing that out there. Just kidding. Do not be deceived. Okay? Ultimately, it comes down to this. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, ladies and gentlemen. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to one another. Let us love so well. Are you hearing me? That other people want in on what it is that we have. And the worst advertisement for the church is when the church doesn't love each other. An unbelieving world finds that so unbelievable. How is that the case? We have been given such a great love in Jesus. And he's asking us to give that love away to each other first and to a lost and dying world. It's the gospel that simple. Let us pray and we'll worship together. Father, would you forgive us, all of us, including myself, for gratifying my sinful flesh? Whatever Part of that list I'm guilty of, God, you know. You know my heart. You know the hearts of the people that are here. King David cried out to you and said, would you create in me a clean heart? Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Would you do the same for my friends today? Would you create in them a pure heart? Renew a steadfast, not growing weary kind of spirit where they would just not give up so that at the proper time they'll reap a harvest. We don't know what that harvest will look like. I know in their home, there'll be peace. There'll be joy. There'll be your provision. There'll be, um, there'll be a sense of, of something different in their home that other people will want to know more about. God, would that be true for each home that's represented here today and all the ones that weren't able to be here today because of sickness? Speaking of that, God, would you bring healing? Just like Navid, as he prayed for healing in the church, would healing come? God, I pray for a day where everyone who calls this place home would gather together on one Sunday morning and we would see your hand at work, Lord. We'd be encouraged by that. We'd be encouraged to reach out, to do that outward reach, to draw more people in so that they can know this Jesus who loves them. 
God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience with us. Like you, you, all those things that are the fruit of the Spirit, you're all those things, Jesus, to us. Would you teach us to live more like that? Would you help us not be afraid of being weird, Lord? Not being weird in this world that we live in. And right now, Lord, if there are those today that need prayer, they need to come and they need to bow before you. Maybe they need to come and raise their hands to you, Abba, Father. Whatever it is that you're speaking to them about today, Lord, I pray that they just be obedient to that very next thing you're asking them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.